Hello and welcome to our special pension edition of the Tilney podcast. I'm David Smith, a financial planning director from Tilney's Glasgow office. Pensions are a notoriously complex, or perhaps I should say overcomplicated subject, and this means that they prompt an enormous number and range of questions. To answer some of these and discuss how to get the most from pensions and retirement savings, I've got two of Tilney's pension experts with me today. Anne-Marie Atkins is our managing partner for Tilney in the Northwest and was named Financial Planner of the Year at the Women in Financial Advice Awards last year. She is one of our most experienced financial planners when it comes to pensions. Alongside Anne-Marie is my namesake David Smith, Tilney's managing partner for financial planning in the Northeast. David's technical knowledge of pension is second to none and he has regularly appeared in the national press. We asked you to submit questions via our website and I've had a huge response. So I've picked out some of the reoccurring themes and interesting topics. But before we get started, here is some important information. Nothing in this recording is intended to constitute advice or a recommendation and you should not take any investment decision based on its content. Prevailing tax rates are dependent upon individual circumstances and are subject to change. Any opinions expressed may be subject to change without notice. Remember that the value of investments can fall as well as rise and that you may not get back the amount you originally invested. Past performance should not be considered a reliable indicator of future returns. Different funds carry varying levels of risk depending on the geographical region and industry section in which they invest. You should make yourself aware of these specific risks prior to investing. If you're unsure about the suitability of an investment or if you need advice on your specific requirements, you should seek professional financial advice. So if we get started... How much can I contribute into a pension each year? There's actually no limit to how much can be contributed to a pension. A better question to ask would be how much can be contributed to a pension and secure income tax relief. Assuming it's a personal contribution, the maximum amount that can be paid into your pension is typically 100% of your net relevant earnings or £40,000, whichever is lower. Net relevant earnings are principally earned income, so it excludes sources of income such as dividends or rent. If contributions are going to come from another source, such as an employer, then there is no restriction in terms of that net relevant earnings cap. The employer can pay in as much as he wishes on your behalf, albeit subject to carry forward rules, which I think we'll be covering later on. Maybe a more difficult question is how much is enough? In other words, how much do I need to save into a pension? I think what's really important is to understand that it's never too early to start a pension and it's never too late either. It's the longest term of savings plan that any of us will ever have. And actually, the right amount to understand that you put into a pension depends on when you want to retire, so what age you want to retire, and what you want your lifestyle or spending habits to look like. It also matters what other sources of income you might have in retirement. You might have a rental property or other savings that you've taken that should all contribute to how you enjoy your lifestyle in retirement. So I think what's really important is to understand what's affordable to you, how long you've got to retirement, and actually make sure that you've got a plan or you maybe use some cash flow tools to understand if you want to look at an example of what £20,000 a year is in today's terms when you reach an age of, say, 60 what you would need to contribute now to build a pot of up to basically give you that pension at that moment in time. So there are tools that we can use to help visualise that and make it easy for you to understand. So now I have my pension 
I know how much to contribute, I know what I should be contributing, but where should I actually invest? Well, my advice would be to invest in the asset that's going to make the most money. Unfortunately, life isn't that straightforward. And the key driver behind any investment strategy is risk. The problem is risk is relative. So a cat is high risk to a mouse. Personally, I haven't got too much of a fear of them. So we need to ascertain your risk profile first. That will then categorize how much money you should have in different asset types. Generally speaking, the younger you are, the more money you should have in equities in the stock market. And the older you are, the more money you should have in safer assets such as cash, bonds and gilts. The problem we find most frequently is that retail investors tend to invest in the wrong assets at the wrong time. So they'll often buy assets when they're high and sell assets when they're low. And market timing is notoriously difficult. The key, therefore, is to have a spread of assets. Then market timing becomes less relative. And by having a balanced portfolio of investments, you should find that you get a nice steady return over the period of your pension. I think one thing just to add into that is that clients at different points in their life cycle might take a different view on the risk that they take within a pension and it's all relative. So clients who might want a secured income in retirement might take a lot less risk within the nearer years they get to their retirement age, but actually other clients that might utilise their pension more flexibly might continue to take risk into their later years. So actually getting advice around that's really quite important to understand what's right for you and your time horizon. So the day dawns and I am now retired. How can I actually take the money from my pension? There's so, so many answers to this question. Um, interestingly, a lot of clients under the new rules can clearly at a future point get to retirement and take 100% of their money out of their pension if they want to, but that's not potentially the right thing to do because of tax you can take money out of a pension in a number of ways. There's 25% of the fund that you've built up that's available free of any tax if it's a money purchase pension. You might have other pensions, though, that carry different guarantees or rules or defined benefit pensions, which might provide a different sum. You don't have to take all that 25% tax-free at that time. You can phase how you take it. And with the part of money that you've got left, you can look to buy a secured income, so a guaranteed form of income or a hybrid of that, or you can flexibly take income out of your pension as and when you need it in line with what your tax allowances are. So it's really important, depending on your status, your tax status at the time that you retire, on what your wants and needs are, to sit down with a planner so that you understand what the right option is for you and your tax position. So that's great. So that sounds all very flexible. Can I then take out different amounts in different years depending on my needs. Absolutely. So you might get to a point in time where you've, you're you maybe two or three years off your state pension and you just need a small amount to, to carry you through to what it is that you need. And you're, you've got a thing called UFPLS. I think we might touch on jargon later, um, but it's a really interesting element of how you can access pension monies just to maybe utilise unused income tax allowances. It sounds very complicated, which again is the reason why you need to speak to a planner. The age of 75 crops up a number of times in pension literature. What impact does that have? In other words, do I have to take my tax-free cash by age 75? And what happens if I don't? Okay, so historically you did have to take tax-free cash by age 75. If you didn't, you lost the ability to do so. But the rules have changed now, so tax-free cash can be taken after age 75. 
The problem comes if you die after age 75. Any dependents who inherit your pension wouldn't be able to take that tax-free cash entitlement. As we all do, at some point, we have to hand back our knife and fork. So what would happen to my pension when I die? Okay, so if you die before age 75, the pension would typically be paid as a lump sum, tax-free, to your chosen beneficiaries. That's not necessarily the best way to do it, though. And the reason for that is if I left my money to my wife, it would be inheritance tax exempt when it was in my pension. But when my wife receives it as a tax-free lump sum, it then forms part of her estate. Therefore, when she dies, potentially 40% of that sum could be lost in tax. There is an easy way around that. So rather than my wife take a lump sum, under current pension rules, she could benefit from something called a succession drawdown plan. All that means is the money is physically left to her in a pension. She can access that at any age. There's no 55 minimum. And she could draw on that as and when she saw fit, tax-free. As long as you could time when you died. So let's assume <laughs> you got to 75 and then the rules change. It's unlikely, Amory. But assuming I do get to 75, then we are in a situation where the rules are similar. Again, the pension can be inherited. The big problem now is there's a tax charge. So if the pension's inherited as a lump sum, there's going to be a tax charge at income tax rates. So in effect, you're likely to receive a very large lump sum. If it's a large lump sum, you're probably going to pay a lot of income tax on it, maybe 45%. Again, there's a way around that. Rather than your beneficiaries inheriting a lump sum, they can benefit from the succession drawdown plan. The only difference between the pre-75 rules is that when you draw money from that succession drawdown plan, you will now pay income tax on what's withdrawn. I think what's really important and what we see a lot of at Tilney is not a lot of clients actually update their nomination of beneficiaries form. And with these new rules, a lot of people might just um, leave 100% to their, their spouse. But if something untoward were to happen or they died together, then they've misnaming their children to be able to benefit from this new rule where it's retained within this pension wrapper and this lovely tax exempt status. So it's really important that part of, you dealing with what happens to your pensions when you die is nominating a variety of beneficiaries that suit your family circumstances. That's a very good point. Um, one thing I was going to raise there, um, and David, thank you for, um, you know, looking at passing on your benefits to your wife. But are you restricted in that basis? Uh, could you leave your pension to anybody? I've just received a text from my wife saying, could David leave his pension to me rather than his own wife? Is that true? Uh, there's, there's no restrictions. You can nominate anybody uh, for your pension. The big problem comes when there's, when there's a dependent and you haven't nominated anyone other than that dependent. So basically, your pension scheme trustees have an obligation to look after your dependent and could only look after somebody else, say an adult child, if they were specifically nominated within the pension. So it goes back to Amory's point. The key is to make sure that you've reviewed the nominations under your pension. What about clients that maybe have more complex family circumstances or more to think about around inheritance tax? Um, any other solutions or thoughts around that? There are, there are other things that you can do. So you don't necessarily have to name an individual as a beneficiary for your death benefits. One of the things that we use quite often in, in our world is something called a spousal bypass trust. And actually what that does is it places your pension death benefits 
into a structure so this protected tax wrapper where there can be a number of potential beneficiaries and you may write something called a letter of wishes that guides the trustees as to who should receive those benefits. Particularly works well maybe if the second marriage is in children from the first marriage or you know there's a big age difference between individuals. It's something that we'll talk individually to clients about for sure. So I have a personal pension and I've had it for a number of years and I'm thinking of transferring it. What would be the key considerations that you would uh, run through with me? There are lots of things you should consider before you transfer a pension and not in any order um, of priority. But generally, we would look at if you've got a historical pension that has maybe got some underlying guarantees or has got a guaranteed element to the fund that you invest into. That's really important for you to understand before you make a decision. If your fund and transfer value are different, so if they penalise you to leave your pension or apply something called a market value adjustment to your value on transfer, the charges that you're paying the provider for utilising the funds that are available, if you're penalised when you make a contribution into that pension, there are still some old style schemes that don't attribute 100% of your contribution to a pension to purchase your benefits. Also, we'd look at the flexibility of the contract. So has it taken on board the new legislation of rules being able to access your pension benefits flexibly in the future? And a lot of other things we look at as well is the charges, the sometimes extra product charges, the fund choice that's available. If you've got a set retirement age that you can't get past, there's so many things that you can look at. But ideally, coming to us to take on board that is we make sure we look at every single part individually and make a decision based on what's suitable for you. Is it in my interest to transfer my final salary pension? I think David will leave this question to me. Is that right, David? <laughs> yes, I agree. So I, it's generally how we would start with this overview is that it's never in your interest to give up a guaranteed secure income in retirement. However, it's not that straightforward. Every single person that we speak to has a different set of circumstances that we have to take a lot of things into consideration to to actually answer that question realistically so it may be in your interest and it may not it really depends upon what other sources of wealth that you have or other forms of assets that might provide you with an income in retirement what your family situation is what your attitude to risk is what the scheme benefits are if there are some underlying additional guarantees if the scheme's funded correctly or not there's so many things to take into account and it's actually it's a really specific area of advice and it's one that we take very seriously and we would make sure that we had all of the relevant data before we could answer that question for you. So you're saying then it's individualised to each individual client? Absolutely. And what they want and need for themselves and their family if they have a family or not and what they want to do with that benefit or if they'll spend it or not in the future. It's really important to get all of the facts before considering what options might suit that client. In the exciting world of pensions, uh, there is nothing as certain as change. Uh, what would be your thoughts on the future of this particular subject? Pension legislation changes all of the time, and that's unlikely to be any different moving forward. The item at the top of the agenda is pension tax relief. It's a fact that it costs the government more in pension tax relief than it does for the defence budget and therefore it would seem likely that tax relief will be reduced at some point in the foreseeable future so it seems sensible for clients to consider maximising contributions while tax relief at current levels is available. Clients main concern tends to revolve around the pension commencement lump sum so how much tax free cash they can have from their pension. There is a constant fear that this facility will be withdrawn. That would seem highly unlikely. Whenever governments make 
radical changes to pensions, it's rarely retrospective. So the likelihood is a drawbridge will come down, new plans would be affected by such a withdrawal, but existing plans would be protected. Would it be fair to say then that the review process that we have in place for clients is very important? Absolutely. Client circumstances, tax relief changes every year, savings in different parts of what they do change. It's really important if we think that there are allowances that can be used in tax reliefs that we make use of them because they can have such a significant impact on the performance of that overall plan at the end point. In financial services, we do love our abbreviations and for some unknown reason, the letter A comes up more than most. So we have AA, LTA, MPAA as just a number of examples. So to take one of them, I could just maybe explain what this is. Uh, Let's take LTA first of all. Okay, so that's the the lifetime allowance. The lifetime allowance is currently £1,055,000, but it is possible to protect a higher level than that. So that's in effect the point at which the government starts levying tax charges on the amount in excess of that figure. I think another thing to add to that is if the lifetime allowance currently is £1,055,000, there are ways that you can consider how to deal with your pension before it breaches that element or maybe consider if you're going to be in a position where you might breach if there are options for you to protect at a higher level. So lifetime allowance is really quite important for people that have been significantly saving to pensions or people that start younger and take saving to pensions seriously. They may be caught in the future by that. Uh, That's an excellent point, Anne-Marie. And you mentioned protection. Uh, How would I start thinking about protecting my lifetime allowance? Well, it's Probably a bit late to get the very best protection that was out there, but uh, the government has gradually reduced the level of protections available. But currently, you can still take advantage of fixed protection 2016, and that will allow you to protect the value of your fund at 1.25 million rather than 1 million and 55,000. Excellent. So, moving on through our abbreviations AA, uh, am I looking at my car or am I looking at my pension? It's certainly not your car, um, but it, it could be in certain circumstances. The AA stands for the annual allowance, and we did touch a little bit earlier on what annual allowances are. So most generally, if you read anything in the press, an annual allowance to pension would be a cap of 40000 However, it could actually be lower than that if you've got earnings above a certain level. So potentially, if you've got earnings from all sources above 110000 your annual allowance could be less than the 40000 So the right thing to do is to understand what your income position is from all, and position of income from all sources is, and then understand where your annual allowance sits. Ideal. I'm maybe scared to ask, but MPAA? Oh, a cracker, the MPAA. So that's basically a, a further allowance that restricts savings to only £4,000 a year, pension savings to £4,000 a year. How do you trigger the money purchase annual allowance? There's a few ways you can do it, but the most common one is drawing income from a flexible drawdown contract. So basically, if you're taking income from a new pension contract, the likelihood is you'll trigger the MPAA. There are exemptions if you're taking money via annuity purchase, if you're drawing money for a defined benefit pension, if you're taking money out through the small pots rule, then none of those will trigger it. But uh, you'll get a letter through if you have. It is important to note, though, that if you're going down the avenue where you could trigger that, you need to understand if at some point in the future you might contribute back to pension again, if it's going to be advantageous to do so, because you need to make sure you've got specialist advice that gives you the option not to incur that restriction. So David and Anne-Marie, you've talked uh, at you know, some points in our podcast 
about business owners. Could it maybe just spend a couple of minutes expanding on that? And is there any special considerations we should be thinking about business owners? I think it's really important to educate business owners about how they treat the way that their business can actually enhance their retirement benefits into a pension scheme. So a company is allowed to make a contribution to a pension scheme outside of normal rules, as long as that contribution for the individual is classed as wholly and exclusive. It's a term used by accountants, but actually it just means that is that individual that you're contributing to a pension for contributed to the business that warrants that level of contribution to a pension. And the absolute great thing about putting a contribution into a pension through your limited company is that it's classed as a business expense. So your business gets a corporation tax saving on the contribution that's made into pension. You move an asset outside of your business into a pension that's yours and you've not encountered the usual tax rules that would apply by taking money out of your limited company. You're actually getting tax reliefs. Another really important thing for business owners is if you put money into a pension and you actually might want to do different things in your business, you might be looking at commercial property or actually loaning capital back to the business, there are pension schemes that can facilitate that. So it's always yours and there are more commercial ways that you can use that within that environment. More frequently, we're also seeing business owners who've accrued quite high cash balances within their business. So they haven't taken that money out, principally because they don't want to pay the, the, the tax on the on the PAYE or the dividends. And taking money out via a pension contribution is therefore very attractive for them. It takes money off the capital balance sheet, off the company balance sheet, into a pension and outside of their estate. I think the last thing to add to that is that if we've got business owners out there that are actually doing research and development work within their business, contributing to a pension then inflates even more so the tax relief that they can get considerably. And with us and their accountant, we can really maximise that for business owners. And somebody then, if I'm a business owner, pensions are high up my priority list. Absolutely. Definitely. So everyone knows that pensions come with a lot of nonsensical jargon. It's real and helpful because what it does do is make what is already an overcomplicated and confusing subject even more of a challenge to understand. So taking inspiration from the BBC show Just a Minute, I've got a quick quiz for you. So you've got 30 seconds to explain to me what the following terms mean. And I want your answers in proper English, no jargon back, no hesitation or repetition. So, as I set my timer, the first subject is threshold versus adjusted income. So I'll take that one. Adjusted income is basically we utilise a figure of 110,000. That's all your taxable income, less any variable deductions. And we add to that all pension contributions, including employer contributions. That's how we define adjusted. And threshold income excludes pension contributions and again, net income in this context is all taxable income, less variable deductions. What about tapered annual allowance? Well, that's quite, quite straightforward. Anne-Marie's done the difficult bit. So for people who are affected by that £150,000 cap and have very high earnings, the tapered annual allowance is in effect a reduction in how much they can contribute to the pension. So basically, for every £2 worth of income over £150,000, the amount you can contribute to your pension is reduced by a pound. So if you have earnings of £210,000, your tapered annual allowance would only be £10,000, not forty. And one thing to add to that is on the threshold income, the margin that we start is 150,000. Moving on then, carry forward. I'll do that. 
Um, so basically, the maximum amount you can contribute into a pension, generally speaking, is £40,000. However, if you have the ability to pay more, you can carry forward the unused relief that you have from the previous three years. So at the minute, that's three lots of £40,000 added to the current year, £40,000 allowance, giving a total of £160,000. Restrictions apply, though. Now, this is 30 seconds and not 30 minutes. Benefit crystallisation events. There are quite a number of those. Um, Unfortunately, death is a benefit crystallisation event. When you elect to take some tax free cash or pension commencement lump sum out of pension, that is a crystallisation event. If you look to take a smaller amount of pension lump sum and part of income, that is a crystallisation event. It's basically any time you trigger an action against your pension, and that includes death. Important to add that they stop at age 75. That's the last one. Let's go for Flexi Access Drawdown. Okay, so Flexi Access Drawdown was in effect brought in through pension freedom legislation. It basically enables people to access the full value of their pension as a lump sum should they desire. In essence, they can take what they want from their pension when they want. How much tax they pay will depend on how they draw the funds out. It's not a fad, it's Flexi Access Drawdown. Well picked up. I'd just like to thank David and Anne-Marie for their time today. Uh, It's been really helpful, I hope, talking through pensions and particularly maybe demystifying a lot of the jargon around this particular complex subject. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for. Uh, If you do have any feedback, questions or comments, please send us an email to podcast at tilney.co.uk. Thank you for listening.